I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. While many people think of biotechnology in terms of its impact on medicine, it's expected to transform the economy as its power reaches across industries. As biology increasingly becomes an engineering discipline, it's not only reshaping the way we produce food, but a wide range of industrial products as well. Bio-based processes are replacing petroleum-based ones and giving life to new biomaterials, bioplastics, and biofuels. As the SynBioBeta Global Synthetic Biology Conference returns to Oakland, California, May 23rd to May 25th, we spoke to SynBioBeta founder and CEO John Cumbers about the state of the emerging bioeconomy, how biotechnology is being embraced across industries, and the unexpected places biotechnology is already showing up. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Daddy. Always good to talk with you. We're going to talk about synthetic biology, the emerging bioeconomy, and the upcoming SynBioBeta conference. A lot of the listeners of this podcast will tend to focus on the health applications of biotechnology and may be familiar with synthetic biology in that context, but perhaps it would be worth talking about the concept of synthetic biology more broadly, and the effort to turn biology into an engineering discipline. Where are we in those efforts, and how is synthetic biology changing what's possible with biology today? It's a great question. I think we're at about 0.5% of our capacity to engineer biology, maybe 0.1% of our capacity. Many people view reading, writing, and editing a DNA and A's, C's, T's, and G's as this digital code for programmable biology. And so they make these, uh, these comparisons to the computer engineering boom or the microprocessor engineering boom that we had going on um, in the 1960s. And so if you compare where we are in a computer analogy, we're probably still in the 1960s where you're taking stacks of punch cards on a, on a computer and you're putting them into a reader and it's doing the programming and then it's you're coming back a couple of days later and getting the, the readout. So I'd equate our ability to engineer biology with the 1960s punch card era of computing, which is you haven't seen uh, linear programming or you, you've seen linear programming, you haven't seen object-oriented programming, you haven't seen uh, graphical user interfaces, you haven't seen the mouse, you haven't seen the iPhone, you certainly haven't seen uh, apps like Uber or Pinterest, and then you definitely haven't seen generative AI. But I believe that all of that is going to come, the equivalent of all of that is going to come in biology, and the next 100 years are going to be the most amazing time for engineering biology, and we're probably about uh, not even 1% into it. Well, how easy is it today to write, edit, and synthesize DNA, and, and how accessible is that technology? It's 
pretty easy to read, write, and edit DNA, but we still don't really have a clue what we're saying or what we're going to write with it. I'll give you an example. Um, looking at the iGEM competition, which is International Genetically Engineered Machines competition, this is actually how I got started in the field of synthetic biology. Back in 2006, I was the leader of the Brown iGEM team. I was a graduate student at the university there. And there were about, I don't know, 15 teams that entered the iGEM competition at that point. And if you're not familiar with iGEM, it's like first robotics for genetic engineering. And first robotics is this giant, you know, tens of thousands of students all competing to engineer uh, things in different ways. And so iGEM's trying to mirror that. And they've now got, you know, maybe 5,000, maybe more students who come together each year for this jamboree. And they're summer long projects. So they're two or three month projects and teams of 10 or so students, undergrads, or even high school students who get together. So uh, 15 years ago, when we were doing iGEM, none of the projects worked, none of them were completed. Um, and now when you look at what's coming out of the iGEM competition, within a couple of months, you've got real projects that are coming out in many different application areas from health to chemicals to materials to consumer goods. And so the process of engineering biology over the last 15 years of the boom in synthetic biology has been speeding up. People can now engineer an E. coli cell to perform a particular function. They can make a yeast cell produce a particular molecule. So we're getting better at it, but it's still really taking a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort to do it. And we're not doing it in a very rational or repeatable fashion. But the timeline to get it to speed up, the design-build test cycle has contracted from from years to, to 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 months, and so in that respect, there's there's progress being made. But I still think we're at the punch card time in biology. At the same time, the growing ease and accessibility of the ability to engineer biology is not without concerns. People have become well versed in the needs for cybersecurity and the threat of computer viruses. We now have the ability to generate actual viruses. How vigilant are industry and government agencies about the emerging area of biosecurity? Well, everybody in industry is com concerned about it. And all of the DNA synthesis providers have guidelines and a screening database that they screen. They screen their customer to know who's buying the DNA. And then they screen the order and screen it against a set of known pathogens to make sure that you don't have some uh, crazy person or some terrorist who's who's ordering pathogens and making the next uh, the next COVID in their in their basement. So I think the industry is acutely aware of the potential damage that could be done um, if these kinds of things get into the wrong hands. And they've set up um, guidelines for all of the synthesis providers to adhere to uh, to prevent the misuse of this kind of technology. In the past, we've talked about your book, What's Your Biostrategy, which argued that companies in all industries need to have a biostrategy the belief that biology was going to disrupt all industries. That was more than five years ago. To what extent are you seeing companies that are not thought of as biotech companies starting to use, exploit, or explore the technology? That's a great question. And we have seen a boom in these kinds of 
consumer companies, these Fortune 500 companies or these big name consumer brands getting into biology. We have a number of sessions at the conference this year and a number of attendees from food companies like Coke and Pepsi or materials companies like um, or, or fashion companies like Lululemon or uh, Adidas um, or companies that are in the in the uh, in the built environment like um, H&M has a partnership and an investment in a company called Biomason. And Biomason is making bio-based concrete that uses 5% of the CO2 of regular concrete. Um, two of the companies that I mentioned, uh, Adidas and Lululemon, have a partnership with the company Lanzatech. And Lanzatech, if you're not familiar with them, takes waste uh, CO2 from steel mills, converts it into CO2, sorry, into carbon, uh, converts carbon dioxide into carbon monoxide, and then filters it, uh, bubbles it through this reactor with these organisms that then can produce these different materials that can be uh, like biomaterials, like bio nylon can be produced. And then they can, they've got a partnership with Adidas and you can actually go online and buy this Adidas jacket that's made with the Lanzatech uh, material. And um, so that's an example of, of, of Adidas getting into it. And then another one that was just announced two weeks ago was Genomatica and they've got a partnership with Lululemon um, for making, for making yoga pants with their bio-based nylon. So you're seeing a lot of these industries as the book predicted, get into biology, ask themselves who's our chief biology officer and ask ourselves where are our supply chains coming from? Um, what are the scope one, scope two, scope three emission targets that we have for reducing the impact of climate change? And how can biology be a tool that we can use to, to do that? So you've just seen a huge boost in every industry looking at biology, uh, particularly with the climate investment landscape and, and the climate impact uh, that, we're, that we're seeing and trying to understand how can we build more things with biology and build fewer things with petrochemicals. What do industrial companies need to understand about how biotechnology will transform the economy and their industries? I think that industrial companies need to look at the cost of doing business, and they also need to look at the suite of new technologies that are coming out around reading, writing, and editing a DNA, around designing, building, and testing biological cells to perform particular functions. And then they need to see, you know, can any part of my industry or any process that I'm currently doing be done faster, better, cheaper, more sustainably if I use the tools of biology than the tools that I'm using now. I gave you the example of Biocement. I think that's a really good one. There's another company called Checkerspot, which is uh, speaking at the conference. They're one of our sponsors. And they are using algae for the production of resins and bioplastics. And it Checker spots a really interesting story because if you look at things like oils in the natural environment, the kinds of oils that we use, they are things like soy, corn, canola. Um, there's a limited set of oils that are produced at scale industrially by biology. What Checker Spot has done is to go out into nature and to sequence things in the jungle or in the environment and as you might have guessed, if you sequence any of the plants around you, you'll find a whole range of different oils present in that plant. Now, the, now those oils might have some industrially relevant property to them, such as a better surfactant, a better water, um, water wicker, a better, um, uh, a better 
property like flexibility or shininess or texture or even smell. Um, but you can't produce enough of that molecule at scale for it to be industrially relevant so that Apple might want to use it in their next um, phone case or something like that. So what Checkerspot did was to take this platform for the production of algae and they're heterotrophic algae, so they don't actually need sunlight. And they've got these bioreactors. They've got, um, they're, they're based here in the Bay Area. They've got another site in, in Utah. And they can take the genes from the plants or the whatever organism they're, they're sequencing that they want to now scale up. And they can, they can take those genes and they can put them into this uh, algae strain. And now inside their bioreactor, they can boot up this algae strain. And at scale, they can produce this, this polymer or this oil. And so one of the things that, that Checkerspot did to showcase this was to develop their own cross-country ski brand. And if you're a skier, you know that particularly when you're doing cross-country, the, the flexibility of the skis is really important. And you, what Checkerspot has allowed skiers to do is to dial in the properties of this polymer to make customized cross-country ski brand, uh, cross-country skis um, that are now providing a performance advantage over regular skis, and they're providing a cost advantage and a sustainability advantage. So you've kind of got this triple win for a company like Checkerspot going into this traditional market and that's only maybe wood or fiberglass and providing these brand new customizable properties. And, and those are the kinds of things that I think companies need to wake up to because if they don't try to do this themselves and think about innovating on the materials, other companies, other new startups are going to come in and, and then be competing with their business in a, in a, with a technology that they've never even seen or heard of before. You were at NASA when you started SynBioBeta. I, I suspect the application of synthetic biology for space was apparent at the time to you, but has anything surprised you about all of the different places you see synthetic biology appearing today? Um, let me see. I, when, we, when we wrote the book, in uh, 20, 2015, 2016, Carl and my co-author, and I, we said that we couldn't find – we challenged our, the people that we were interviewing for the book to, to name an industry that they thought wouldn't be disrupted by biology, and we couldn't think of a single one. Um, so it doesn't really surprise me when I hear about people doing interesting things with biology – but um, would you be surprised if I told you that the insurance industry was being disrupted by biology? Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, there's, so there's a company called Annika Bioscience, and the CEO of Annika is going to be speaking at SymbioBeta. And um, Annika are doing some really interesting things where they are using microbes as a tracer molecule for uh, food. And why might you want to use microbes as a tracer molecule for food? Well, they're really cheap. They're really easy to spray on the food, for example. And these are spores that they're putting on, 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 the, on, on food. They're harmless, harmless spores, but they've got tracking uh, DNA uh, in those spores. And so um, one of the biggest costs to the insurance industry are product recalls, and in particular, food product recalls. So you, you've heard all the time about um, lettuce being contaminated with E. coli. We're now going to try and trying to find those lettuce, uh, the, that lettuce that's been contaminated with E. coli, which whole foods did they go to and go, go and pull them off the shelves? Well, uh, Annika can uh, use their, um, their spores to trace specific food items, and then they can use it to go uh, find them again 
pull them off the shelves, and it reduces the cost of the recall um, by a huge amount. And so um, um, Annika was recently over in London talking to insurance companies there, and they're building this now whole platform where the insurance industry can use this for not just tracking food, but any other kind of ingredients or any other kinds of products that you need traceability in your supply chain. And we all know how important supply chains are right now. Um, so it's, a, it's just a really interesting story about how the insurance industry, an industry that you wouldn't have thought would be interacting with synthetic biology, is being disrupted by the technology. That's amazing. There is a growing list of consumer products being produced today that rely on synthetic biology. This includes textile pigments, biofabrics, leather alternatives produced by fungal colonies. What are the barriers to seeing the technology used more broadly in consumer products? There's always the the GMO debate. Um, in some sense, I think we're moving past that. You're starting to see products come out um, like Soylent, which is proudly GMO. Uh, Zbiotics is another one. I'm an advisor to that company. It's a probiotic, probiotic hangover cure with engineered naturally occurring gut bacteria that are then engineered to overexpress a acid aldehyde dehydrogenase, which reduces the aldehyde. Um, in your gut as you sleep, and it's the aldehyde that gives you a throbbing hangover. So that's a great consumer benefit story. And then one that just came out uh, recently is the purple tomato. I don't know whether this has come across your radar, but the purple tomato is increased uh, in an antioxidant pigment pigment that makes the tomato purple. It's a beautiful color. Um, it gives them better, better taste, better health properties, and, and longer shelf life. So you're starting to see a lot of these products that the GMOs 1.0 um, are often criticized because all the benefit went to the seed company or went to the farmer and all the perceived risk went to the consumer. And now you're starting to see products like the Lululemon yoga pants or the Adidas jacket or the skis that I talked about or the probiotic hangover cure that the, where the benefit goes directly to the consumer. The consumer can take the choice about whether they want to buy that or not. And so I think uh, that's definitely one of the risks, but I think there's so much opportunity to do amazing things with biology. Actually, one of the companies um, at, that's coming to the conference uh, in three weeks' time is uh, a company based in France that's producing a genetically engineered houseplant that is a monitor for pollution, for air pollution in your, in your home. So that's another really interesting company uh, that's going to be exhibiting at the conference. Scaling manufacturing has long been an issue. When we deal with industrial volumes, the capacity needed is well beyond the production for biopharmaceuticals. This is in part a capacity issue, but it's also a process issue. How good are we at scaling production today? We're pretty good at scaling production. If you look at the things that DuPont has done around uh, molecules like their a biobased nylon for the product Serona that they use to make carpets. If you look at what they've done in terms of fuel, if you look at what Amaris has done in Brazil for the production of many different kinds of consumer products from baby wipes to, um, to consumer products that you, that you put on your face, like face cream, um, that, you know, they're able to, to scale. If you look at what Genomatica is doing. So, um, you know, scaling is hard in biology or I should say scaling isn't easy in biology, but there are plenty of examples where people have managed to do it. So, um, yeah, scaling is, is happening. Uh, Lanzatech also has opened, I think, their sixth plant globally, and, uh, and they're scaling as well. So it's definitely out there and it's happening. 
what's I think probably a bigger issue, and we've got one whole track dedicated to this at the conference is scale up of biomanufacturing, is the capacity of fermentation facilities in the US particularly, because there's so little fermentation capacity. And so you're seeing a lot of capital required to come into the industry in order to scale it. And you're seeing the different companies competing for available slots for the fermentation facilities. And there's one company, this is one of our sponsors called Synonym Bio, and they're coming to the conference this year. They're talking in a number of sessions all about this capacity building in synthetic biology to make sure that the dream and the vision of the bioeconomy works from a cost point of view, but also from a scale-up point of view so that we have the steel in the ground ready to support that. We've seen a, a number of documents and commitments emerge from the Biden administration around biotechnology and biomanufacturing. There's a recognition of the significance of the potential economic transformation of the company through biology from a jobs and economic competitive point of view. But where's the United States relative to other nations with regards to the bioeconomy? Well, I can say that we are number one. The size of the U.S. bioeconomy is now a trillion dollars, which is phenomenal. Roughly a third of it in chemicals and materials, a third, a third of it in food and ag, and a third of it in, in uh, healthcare. Um, but China is, is rapidly catching up with us. They have um, a growing hungry population. They have a growing fermentation capacity, and they have a very well-educated and scientifically literate um, um, group of skilled labor that can make it happen. So China definitely has the largest fermentation capacity in the world, and they are you know, producing the majority of the world's antibiotics. Um, and so there's going to be this, this play out and this big onshoring of, of uh, fermentation capacity coming back to the U.S. And you're starting to see a lot of Chinese visas denied for students to come and, and study in our universities. So um, there's definitely a lot of turmoil um, that, that I see in the future. Um, and there's, it, it, certainly the U.S. is starting to fight back in terms of, um, in terms of the growth of its bioeconomy. And we're starting to see a lot of looking at internally at manufacturing, bringing back our supply chain innovation, bringing back our, um, our materials, our chemicals productions, our, our active pharmaceutical ingredients. So there's a lot of interesting things happening globally about where the bioeconomy is going to grow, where the facilities are going to be, are going to be located. Um, and, and the Biden administration, both with the Inflation Reduction Act and with the Chips and Science um, and with the Defense Spending Bill, have, have all um, got significant uh, amounts of activity for growing the U.S. bioeconomy. So I think it's going to be able to stay ahead, but there's certainly going to be a lot of competition with China over the next decade. Part of what's driving the administration's interest is also the potential to address climate concerns and the environmental impact of things through things like bioplastics, biofuels, and the changing way we produce protein for food consumption. What's the case for biology to address environmental issues? Great question. There's a huge case. And the, to put things into context, there's been a effort over the last 10 years to try to get a U.S. strategy at the federal level for the bioeconomy. The Obama administration uh, tried and failed to do it. The Trump administration tried to fail and do it. Uh, the Biden administration has finally got this executive order over the line. It came out in September last year, 
And one of the first goals was to come up with a coordinated strategy and a coordinated plan, and for each of the government agencies that the bioeconomy touches to develop a plan for some bold goals to support the bioeconomy. And that those bold, bold goals came out in just a couple of weeks ago, about 30 days ago. And I wrote a Forbes piece um, covering this. I'm a senior contributor at Forbes, and we put out a, a thing covering the the White House's Bold Goals Initiative. And it's got some really big goals in it. For example, the Department of Commerce says that over the next, uh, I think it's 10 years, um, they would like to see 30% of U.S. chemicals be produced from bio-based uh, ingredients or bioprocesses uh, for the production of these, of these chemicals. Right now, it's something like 3%. So that's huge. One, one out of three chemicals produced with bio-based uh, processes or bio-based molecules. Um, likewise, uh, they have a big goal for sustainable plastics. They have a big goal for the production of cell and gene therapies, reducing the cost of them by, by tenfold. Um, and they have a, a goal for producing you know, food and agricultural products using the bioeconomy. So if you go to that, um, that Forbes piece, and you look, uh, it details each of the bold goals that the administration has. And you can also go on the White House website and look. All of them are both looking at the supply chain issues, the climate change issues, and the, um, the need for a bioeconomy workforce to be trained in the U.S. so that we can remain competitive. The biotech sector has seen stock prices beaten down. This is true for synthetic biology and industrial biotech companies as well. What effect has this had on the ability of young companies to raise money, venture investors, interest in the sector, and valuations? It's a, another good question. Partly, I haven't seen anything change. I'm still seeing a ton of new startups forming a ton of new technologies coming out of the universities and a ton of new money wanting to fund these things. I think what is changing is the valuations that these pre-revenue startups can get. And I think the other thing that's changing is the ability for some of these later stage companies who are raising a Series B um, who don't yet have the um, uh, cost economics worked out for the production of this molecule. You know, they haven't... I, either they're going to spend you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions putting steel in the ground, um, or are they going to use somebody else's fermentation capacity, which I said is already being limited and people are competing with. So um, I think there's still a, a, a lot of pain that's happening uh, as companies get up to the point where they want to now scale and produce this molecule at scale. And there's, um, there's pain in terms of the early stage valuations. But apart from that, I'm seeing um, a ton of new companies come in, uh, a ton of companies get product out to market, do partnerships with the Fortune 500 companies. So I, I think it's choppy waters, but it's, it's still looking very healthy. And I think any dampening that you see on the financial side from the investment side is being buoyed by things like the Biden administration putting out the strategy doc, which clearly says that the next 100 years of the U.S. economy is going to be built with biology. The SynBioBeta conference returns to Oakland, California this year. It runs from May 23rd through the 25th. It's a packed and wide-ranging agenda. What's different this year? We have a session on psychedelics, which is brand new. Paul Stamets, who was the guy behind the Fantastic Fungi movie on Netflix that you might have seen, is going to be speaking. 
We have another session on xenotransplantation that is making a humanized organs inside of other animals. So in this case, uh, it's Craig Venter, the genome pioneer, talking with Martin Rothblatt, who is the founder of United Therapeutics, all about xenotransplantation and humanizing pig organs for the transplant into, into humans. I think those are two brand new kinds of sessions that we've never had before. We also have the Hollywood actor Thomas Middleditch, who, if you're familiar with the HBO series um, Silicon Valley, um, he plays the Pied Piper, the CEO of, uh, of, that, of that startup, which uh, is a, a, just an amazing parody on, on the whole concept of Silicon Valley. So I encourage you to, uh, to watch that if you haven't seen it, and then you can come meet Thomas Middleditch um, at the event. Uh, we also have the British Member of Parliament, Chi Onwura, who's in the Shadow Cabinet, and she's responsible for science innovation policy. She's going to be coming over from the UK. And we have not one but two astronauts, two NASA astronauts, uh, Tim Copra, who's now the CEO of Nanorax, um, and we have um, uh, a second astronaut who, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but uh, it's on the website and she just confirmed last week. Um, so it's really interesting seeing um, the interest of space and space companies and NASA in synthetic biology. And NASA recently funded four private space stations, and we've got representatives of all those four companies coming to the conference to talk about how they can use synthetic biology in space, how they can make food, materials, water purification systems, all these kinds of interesting things using the tools of synthetic biology. So it's definitely a jam-packed agenda. And all of our big sponsoring companies like Boston Consulting Group or Ginkgo Bioworks or Twist Bioscience or BitBio, they're all coming and the CEOs are doing you know, one-on-one partnering events for meeting with customers and meeting with investors. So it's, it's really, as you know, it's a community event for the whole industry to get together. And we're expecting over 2,000 people this year. So the Oakland Marriott is going to be busting at the seams uh, with all this great content and all these great people. And what can people expect to get out of the conference? Who should be there and why should they go? We're about to send out a list this week of about 50 investors who are going to be at the meeting and about 180 startups. And so I think if you're an investor or a startup, it's like prime uh, ground for, for finding each other, doing business, investing um, and, and connecting and pitching to investors. We have a lot of Fortune 500 companies coming. So if uh, you're looking, if you're a company looking to partner with a Fortune 500, it's a great place to do that. As I said, we've got a lot of one-on-one partnering events. If you're a tech scout and you're wanting to know what is going on in the industry, what are the big announcements, what are the new technologies, then it's a great place just to come and plonk yourself down for a couple of days and, and just absorb what's going on. And then if you're in the market for buying tools, technology, services. We have almost 100 exhibitors at the event this year. And um, so it's a really good uh, expo. It's uh, a lot going on if you just want to walk the floors and chat with people. Um, and then finally, the parties and the receptions. We've got receptions both nights uh, in the expo hall. We've got a welcome party out on the street with uh, tacos and mariachi bands and a DJ. Um, so it's just, you know, the usual fun and excitement of a Sinvibator event, plus uh, the growth in the bioeconomy and the number of people who want to come and do business. So it's, it's the biggest party that I know of for the synthetic biology world. Uh, that's, that's what I like to think of it as. And where can people go to find more information? They can go to synbiobeta.com and there's the speakers, there's the expo map. You can see who's coming and uh, which investors are going to be there. And also you can sign up to our weekly newsletter, which is full of information about what's going on in the industry. 
John Cumbers, founder and CEO of SynBioBeta. John, thanks so as always. Thanks for having me, Danny. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.